welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 275. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. We're doing it again. Marching through spring as, as the flowers are blooming, the sun is shining, the world is awakening anew, and I'm inside playing a video game, talking into a microphone. As God intended it. In feedback this week, I heard from Carl Mead, the show's fan in New Zealand. How you doing, Carl? And I gotta be honest, I'm a little disappointed in Carl this week. Uh, he wrote over there on the Facebook, I'm away camping. First time in six months I've not listened to the podcast on Sunday night. Damn, I'll have to wait till we get home and download. Carl, I don't even know what to say to this. Actually, I do, because I responded to you on Facebook. And I stand by this. Wait. You prefer being outside enjoying nature to listening to this podcast on the day of release? Barbarian. I mean, seriously. What's more important than listening to this podcast on the day of release? I mean, sure, nature's fine. It's clean air and taking time out to relax and be one with nature and, and center yourself in the universe. But I say silly things about old video games. Sure, you can listen to it anytime you want. But still, the episode came out. On the day it came out. I don't know when you're hearing this, Carl, but um, I know it's not on the Sunday that it came out. Goodness sakes. <sighs> I don't know that I can get over this, Carl. But I'll try. More seriously, I hope you enjoyed your camping trip. If uh, anyone else is doing anything interesting as far as weekends away, let me know. I also heard on Twitter from Into the Vertical Blank podcast. Hi, guys. How you doing? He had some helpful comments about my comments on laser gates from last week. Hey Bill, great episode as always. Thank you very much. The 6507 referenced in LaserGates is the model of CPU in the 2600, a 6502 variant. I'm pretty certain that makes most of the names and references, possibly aside from Dante, inside jokes about programming the BCS. Okay, well that makes sense, and not something I would have known. I appreciate the you filling in the blanks, the, the rather substantial Grand Canyon-sized blanks in my knowledge, and you know, keep keep the uh, the help coming because I clearly could use it. Thanks as always. I know that most of you listening to this show are already listening to Into the Vertical Blank, but if you're not, go do that. It's a wonderful show. All right. If you haven't, go over to the Patreon page for Atari Bytes. You do not have to subscribe, although I hope you'll think about it. But you can see the video of my first time playing Circus Convoy from Audacity Games. It's a good-looking game. It's a video literally of me taking it out of the box for the first time so and then playing it a little bit, so I do terribly. But it's documented on the video. I had never seen the game before, so you can excuse my poor performance in the game. I would guess someday Circus Convoy will be a focus of an episode of Atari Bytes. I'll wait a while. It's still a new thing out there. But if you guys have thoughts about Circus Convoy or, you know, for this podcast, the story within the game, uh, let me know. We can talk about it. Why not? We can talk about anything here. Share your feelings, your deepest desires, your, ooh, wait, no, maybe not your deepest desires, your innermost thoughts, unless they're creepy. Speaking of, sorry, speaking of creepy thoughts. Question! What does Jason say? He says stuff! What does Jason say? Lots of stuff! What does Jason say? Or maybe a little stuff! What does Jason say? He says stuff! Jason says stuff in Atari Bites Exclusive! Jason said stuff again this week. Here's some of that stuff. 
I loved the Jason's Corner segment and that What Does Jason Say theme song. Now I realize that musicians who never actually achieve musical stardom can still be relevant. They just need to make songs about podcast listeners. Um, I guess that's a compliment? Uh, I don't know, Sean. You can decide for yourself if that's a compliment or not. Uh, take it take it as you like. Uh, Jason continues, If I had known the upside of anti-success in music was so great, I would have stuck with the early rock star ambitions. The only danger of the What Does Jason Say segment was having to follow up such an entertainment juggernaut. Sort of like when a famous band takes on an even better band on the road and literally has to follow up something truly spectacular. So, ladies and gentlemen, what we're learning is Jason very confident in himself. He goes on, I did enjoy your Lasergates review, although as mentioned, it had to follow my hilarity, and that instantly creates a pretty steep mountain for the rest of the show to climb. Dante Dart was a cigarette lighter of ye olden days, back when carrying a lighter was stylish. Therefore, it had nothing to do with Dante. Yeah, so I looked this up, and Jason is absolutely correct. There is a type of lighter called a Dante Dart. In my very brief Googling, it appears there's actually various kinds of Dante Dart lighters. I'm not, or nor have I ever been a smoker. I don't know anything about lighters. But uh, other than, you know, back in the day, you could see a lot of cool-looking ones. Um, here, I'm Googling it again. And for some reason now I'm thinking about uh, how boats sometimes were, maybe still are, like the little speed boats were called, uh, what, lighters or cigarette boats or something. Really what I'm thinking of is the show Riptide from the 80s. Oh, by the way, uh, Dave, if you're listening, you might consider Riptide for a future 80s show to do on the uh, Champion Klein podcast. There, that was a message for one specific listener. Anyway, the Dante Dart. So I'm looking at one called a Vintage Dante Butane J2 Lighter Silver Tone on eBay. It's kind of cool looking. Oh, sorry, that one's no longer available. But it's kind of cool looking. It's a little rectangular thing. The little top that flips open. There's a vintage butterfly cigarette lighter in silver for 17 bucks. A vintage Calibri cigarette lighter for 16 Anyway, so yeah, uh, Jason, obviously that makes a lot more sense. That the ship in the game was inspired by this lighter, not by the, uh, the writer Dante. It just makes me think about how the only cool thing about smoking is that once upon a time, it was kind of a cool little ritual. Probably I'm thinking more of movies than real life, but you had the cool, you know, sort of sleek looking cigarette cases, and there was a whole production to taking out a cigarette and tapping it on the thing, and, you know, the, the, the suave guy would hold out his, probably his Dante Dart cigarette lighter and, and light the lady cigarette and all of that, and they'd share some smoldering looks and whatnot. You know, that's the only cool thing about smoking, of course. The actual act of smoking is a horrendous thing to do to yourself and the people around you. So don't do it. If you're smoking right now, stop it. Put that down. Put put it down. Terrible thing to do. I, I get that it's hard to quit. I, I've never been a smoker, so I don't have any personal experience. But even though it's hard, just do it. Just quit. Thank you in advance. Uh, this has been the PSA portion of the podcast. Now back to Jason. Jason says, I spoke to Donald Trump this morning while he was playing Retron 77. Cry out loud, Jason. Do you have stock in the company or something? And he confirmed that what does Jason say was probably the best thing he ever heard in your podcast. And further, he said that doo-wop for revenge just illustrates how horrendous the music truly is. Imagine the collective sound of your sea of listeners stretched out to New Zealand. That's true. We do reach as far, at least, as New Zealand. Shout out to New Zealand. Parenthetically, New Zealand. If you would like to pay, have me come there and make a personal appearance, I'm totally down with that idea. 
Send me a message. Um, sea of listeners stretched out to New Zealand, collectively piercing their own eardrums with knitting needles to make the poop fest of rancid cow snouts, known as doo-wop, stop attacking their ears with a creation that makes orphan tears seem cheerful. I further noticed the bug was louder than usual during the show. Uh, he, actually she, was obviously supercharged after hearing uh, her name and backstory on the greatest podcast in video games. I didn't think she was on last week's episode. I, I know I mentioned her, but I, I didn't think she actually appeared on the show. Maybe not. Maybe she was there. She might be on again today. I don't know. A uh, little thing to, to keep you tuning in. Tuning in. T- tuning. Man, I'm not drunk, I swear. To keep you tuning in. Keep you listening, basically. I find out if Bug's going to make an appearance. Jason says, did I mention Trump Retron 77? Not sure. Or was it Retron 77 and then Trump? I also enjoyed your story, but once again, following my segment is really moving the bar to a point of being unreachable. I do give you great kudos for owning such a nice collection of game systems. Oh yeah, last week I went through the the list of the game systems I have. I forgot to mention the Wii, like everybody else, for a short stretch of time. We bought a Wii and played it for a while and then never touched touched it again. Although, my kids liked it when they were younger. I think, though, we started to have... I think there's some something wrong with the Wii that we have. It started to... Our Wii... Our, there's a problem with our Wii. Um, which is a little more personal than you probably, probably want to hear. I, I think it, like, gets real hot or something. So we haven't plugged it in for a while. Anyway. Kudos for such a great game collection. This year, there's a new Atari console, new PlayStation, and a new Intellivision. So it's obvious you can pick winners. Especially when it comes to adding talent to your show. Oh, yeah. Uh, I forgot there is that new Intellivision thing coming out. I don't know if I'm going to get it. Probably not. I also don't plan to get the new Atari thing either. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. The old hardware kind of guy. Hey, it's Henry. Hi, Henry. Hello. He's just wandering through. What's going on, man? I don't know. Fair enough. I don't know what's going on either. Bye, Henry. It's nice talking to you. Bye. That is the typical amount of conversation I get with my kids on a typical weekend. So, there you go. Jason concludes, almost, with what does Jason say was like a blanket on a cold night. Uh, And then he gives a shout-out to Galagon, G-A-L-A-G-O-N, Atari 2600 homebrew. Today's exciting mention of Atari 2600 greatness will be Galagon, which is an excellent clone of Galaga. Or Galaga. I guess I've heard it both ways. I say Galaga. It's a homebrew, of course, and takes the original Galaxian and basically slaps it out of existence. It certainly demonstrates that a top-quality game is possible on such ancient hardware. Well, that's the thing about Atari, right? Everybody looks at critics of Atari all these many years later, look at Atari and say, oh, oh, it's so ancient, look at these crappy games. And they really just look at the games that are on the low end of what you can do with that system. But we who play a lot of Atari, and certainly most of you listening play a lot more Atari than I do, you know that there's a whole lot of potential, some of which is untapped, for what you can do with this system. So I'm going to check out Galligan at some point. It uh, looks kind of cool. If any of you have thoughts about uh, Galaga or Galaxian, both of which I think I've done on the podcast, or Galagon, or anything really, let me know. This has been... Question! What does Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is Now playing on ColecoVision, Mr. Do and Time Pilot, two of the best new arcade games for the best system made. 
This is Time Pilot, a battle with aircraft from the past and the future. Homing missile! Got him! Uh-oh! Ooh, bomber! And this is Mr. Do. Mow a path to his fruit and start picking, but don't get picked off. Powerball! Nice shot. Mr. Do and Time Pilot, now playing on ColecoVision. The best system in town keeps getting better. Time Pilot. From Coleco, 1983. I think the commercial you just heard was for the ColecoVision version, specifically. Uh, I don't have a ColecoVision. If any of you have thoughts about a Time Pilot on ColecoVision versus Atari, of course, let me know. Um, we, obviously, are playing the Atari version. The manual is an elegant pink and red and white affair. We're told that the game is for use with the, uh, the instructions anyway, or for use with the Gemini, Atari 2600, BCS, or com compatible game systems. Select from three skill levels for one or two players for color or black and white TV. Eliminate all enemies in one time period, then move on to the next. Start in 1910 and progress to 1940, 1970, 1983, and finally, hold on kids, 2001. I know. Holy future, Batman. Kids, go ask your parents. You're caught in a time warp. Earn your wings against ruthless enemy aircraft from the dawn of aviation to the super jet age and finally to the future. Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. Time Pilot takes you through the decades as you face enemies from five time periods. 1910, battle the ghosts of yesteryear's dogfighting biplanes. Their bullets are crude but deadly at the same uh, all the same. Fend them off, then face the mighty dirigible. 1940. Time warp ahead 30 years, face squadrons of swooping monoplanes, evade their swift attack, then eliminate the heavy bomber to move on to the next era and more action. 1970, the enemy is more sophisticated now, eliminate swarms of helicopters, dodge their enemy missiles. The more choppers you down, the closer you come to success, but face the double prop helicopter before pushing forward in time once again. 1983, it's the jet age, swirling waves of super jets home in on your time ship, protect yourself and aim well and hope you can make it, but you're not safe yet. There's the battle yet to come. All right, and then you leap forward in time all the way to the space year 2001. You've reached the final and future battle, duel against flying saucers in deep space. With speed, maneuverability, and deadly missiles, these are awesome opponents, but victory's not yours until you've downed the giant saucer carrier. Are you up to this challenge? Okay, look. Here's the thing. If you watch sci-fi from any time up until, like, 1990, they always assume that by the year 2000, I guess maybe because the 21st century and all that, they always assume that by the end of the 1900s, flying saucers are just going to be everywhere. I don't get it. Because from 1983 to, 19, uh, to 2000, it's, what, 17 years. It's not that much time. I mean... Consider the 20 years before that, from 63 to 83. Yeah, a lot changed, but it was still basically gas-powered cars, gas-powered everything. Airplanes were still basically airplanes. Why do people just assume, why did people just assume that when you went from 83 to 2000, well, obviously there's flying saucers everywhere now. Back to the future. Does it too, right? 1985, Doc Brown goes forward actually to 2015 and comes back in a hover car. But even they, you know, which is kind of silly now, being, you know, past 2015 now, but even they didn't just assume that there's going to be flying saucers everywhere. So what's the deal? Also, if you really think about the time travel part of this game, basically what you're doing is traveling through history, mucking up history all over the place. 
any good time travel show will tell you that you can't hop from time to time killing a bunch of people because you're altering history. So, way to go, dude. So, instructions. Always make sure the game system is off before inserting or re before inserting or removing a cartridge. Be sure the black and white color switch is set to color, even though the front page of the manual tells you could go either way. Um, using the left controller, there is a two-player version where you alternate. Player one uses the left controller, player two uses the right. There are various skill levels. Uh, setting it at B and B is the easiest level. I believe that's what I did for the field report today, although, as you'll see, I still sucked. Skill one is the easiest, suitable for play by beginners. Two and three, this is the Gemini settings, I guess, because uh, they give us those two. Uh, the Atari settings and the Gemini settings. Game switch is not used in Time Pilot. I guess to play with two players, you said on skill level three, left A, right A. Control stick. Your time, your time ship turns to face the direction in which you press the control stick. The time ship stops turning when it reaches that direction. If you release the control stick, the time ship stops turning immediately. Press and release the play action button to make your time ship fire bullets in that direction, in the direction it faces. Tap a button to fire a short burst. It's 1910. Your sleek's time ship battles a horde of biplanes. Slow but deadly is their motto. Beware of enemy bullets. Uh, there's a little diagram here, a little map of what it looks like. Can everybody see in the back? All right, quit lighting your cigarettes and pay attention to the show, please. As you eliminate enemy planes, the enemy's remaining line decreases. When the line disappears, the dirigible flies into view. Your time ship must hit the dirigible to complete this stage of the battle. Then we get uh, maps of what the next uh, time periods look like, 1940. Your time ship breaks out of the time warp and moves on. The enemy biplanes are left behind. Now monoplanes menace your airspace. Shoot them to shrink the enemy's remaining line, but your battle is not over. There's the heavy bomber to eliminate, so you can move on to the next era and more action. Made it through the time warp, look what you face now in 1970. A swarm of buzzing helicopters. Maneuverable, unpredictable. Each helicopter threatens your time ship. Speaking of 1970, which doesn't quite apply, but it's making me think of this. I finally got around to watching Trial of the Chicago 7 last night. This is about uh, the prostitution of Abby Hoffman, uh, Tom Hayden, and uh, all those guys for allegedly inciting the riot at the 1968 Democratic Convention, height of the Vietnam War and all that, of course. Really good movie. I strongly encourage you to watch it. It's a nice history lesson, very compelling courtroom stuff going on. Excellent performances by a huge, talented cast. Go check it out. Some reason, 1917 helicopters and whatnot made me think of that. Watch out for enemy missiles or you won't make it to 83. Don't forget the double prop chopper. Hit it to break out of the time trap. Why that breaks you out of the time warp hitting one particular ship, I don't know. It's like any time travel game or movie or show. You just kind of go with it. Meet your match. They're the super jets of 1983. High-speed jets battle your time ship. Be quick. Keep firing. Dodge. Those missiles are more deadly than ever and fast. Eliminate the big jet bomber to move on to the final battle. Fate of the future. The year is 2001. Whoa. Flying saucers are determined to eliminate your time ship, survive their onslaught, then attack the giant saucer carrier and rid the universe of these perilous foes. The adventure ends when all your time ships are eliminated. eliminated. Press the game reset to replay the game option you have just played. To choose another challenge, reset the difficulty switches, then press the game reset to start playing. I don't know if the mic is picking it up or not, but somebody outside has decided now's a good time to mow their lawn, so apologies for that. Uh, scoring. 
point values range from 100, po 100 points for an enemy plane or a saucer all the way up to 3,000 points for hitting whatever that last thing you have to hit before your next time period. Each player begins with five time ships at 10,000 points. Players are in a replacement time ship if they've lost one before reaching that score. The fun of discovery. The instruction booklet provides the basic information you need to start playing Time Pilot, but it is only the beginning. You will find that this cartridge is full of special features to make Time Pilot exciting every time you play. Experiment with different techniques and enjoy the game. Time Pilot, if you're wondering, comes with a 90-day limited warranty. And that is how you play Time Pilot from Coleco. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast all about life lessons growing up and every episode a segment about music music that i love artists that i admire and sometimes even my own music you can find autobiography of a schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers or you can go to schnookpodcast.com that's s-c-h-n-o-o-k podcast.com and I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Like so many Atari games, Time Pilot started its life as an arcade game, a multi-directional shooter arcade game, specifically uh, designed by Yoshiko Akimoto and released by Konami in 1982, distributed in the United States by Centuri and by Atari Ireland and Europe and the Middle East. Home ports for the 2600, MSX, and ColecoVision were released in 83. A top-down sequel, Time Pilot 84, was released in arcades in 84. It drops the time travel motif and instead takes place over a futuristic landscape. Yokishiko, Yoshiko Akimoto's proposal for Time Pilot apparently was initially rejected by his boss at Konami, who assigned him to work on a driving game instead, but he secretly gave instructions to his programmer to work on this idea while pretending to be working on a driving game in front of his boss. <laughs> The game topped the Playmeter arcade earnings chart in February of 83. In Japan, Green Machine listed Time Pilot on their June 1, 83 issue as being the 18th most popular arcade title at the time. One wonders why Game Machine didn't list the number one most popular arcade game on their cover instead of the 18th, but who am I to question it, even though I just did. It's been re-released various times for various systems. Fury is a 1983 clone from Computer Shack for the TRS-80 color computer. Two clones, both called Space Pilot, but otherwise unrelated, were released in 84 from Kingsoft for the Commodore 64 and Superior Software for the BBC Micro. Vector Pilot is a 2011 hobbyist-written clone for the Vectrex console. The VideoGameCritic.com gave Time Pilot a C-. This rendition of the popular arcade game is fair, but lacks a few key elements from the original game. The arcade version was known for its rapid-fire shooting action, but in this version you can only fire two shots, two slow shots at a time. The boss aircraft only requires one hit to destroy, and there are no bonus paratroopers to rescue. Oh, I'd forgotten about that part. The graphics aren't half bad, especially the hop helicopters in the 1970 stage, and the game is challenging enough. Fans of the arcade game will be understandably disappointed, but those who take the game for what it is might enjoy it. The game does have a page over there on the Konami Wiki, if you're interested in checking that out. The strategy wiki page for Time Pilot says the game was successful due to its simplicity and non-stop intensity. 
enemies came at you constantly, but your plane always seemed to be able to wriggle out of tight spots. Coleco purchased the rights to publish the game for home consoles, while Konami proceeded to publish the game on the popular MSX computer system in Japan. It was released for play on the Xbox Live Arcade in 2006. So basically in this game, you're dogfighting with other flying objects. A dogfight is an aerial battle between fighter aircraft conducted at close range, in case you were wondering. Dogfighting first occurred in Mexico, oddly enough, uh, in 1913, shortly after the invention of the airplane. Until at least 1992, it was a component in every major war, despite beliefs after World War II that increasingly greater speeds and longer range weapons would make dogfighting obsolete. Modern terminology for air-to-air combat is air combat maneuvering, which refers to tactical situations requiring the use of individual basic fighter maneuvers to attack or evade one or more opponents. This differs from aerial warfare, which differs with the strategy involved in planning and executing various missions. The term dogfight has been used for centuries to describe a melee, a a fierce, fast-paced, close-quarters battle between two or more opponents. The term gained popularity in World War II, but its origin in air combat can be traced to the later years of World War I. The first written reference to the modern-day usage of the word appears to be an an account of the death of Baron von Richthofen in the graphic. In May 1918, the Baron joined the melee, which scattering into groups developed into what our men call a dogfight. Had come out in the First World War. The bloody red baron was flying once more. The Allied command ignored all of its men and called on Snoopy to do it again. A biplane, like we see in the 1910 era of the game is an airplane with two wings, one above the other. In the 1890s, this configuration was adopted for some successful piloted gliders. The Wright Brothers' biplane, 1903 to 1909, opened the era of powered flight. Biplanes predominated in military and commercial aviation from World War I through the early 1930s, but the biplane's greater maneuverability could not offset the speed advantage of the lighter monoplane. After World War II, biplanes were used only for special purposes, crop dusting and sport flying. A monoplane is a fixed-wing aircraft configuration with a single main wing plane, in contrast to a biplane or other multiplane which have multiple planes. A monoplane has, the inherently, has inherently the highest efficiency and lower drag of any wing configuration and is the simplest to build. However, during the early years of flight, these advantages were offset by its greater weight and lower maneuverability, making it relatively rare until the 30s. Since then, the monoplane has been the most common form for a fixed-wing aircraft. Although the first successful aircraft were biplanes, the first attempts at heavier-than-air flying machines were monoplanes, and many pioneers continued to develop the monoplane designs. The first airplane to be put into production was the 1907 Santos-Dumont de while the Bleriot 11 flew across the English Channel in 1909. A helicopter is an aircraft with one or more power-driven horizontal propellers or rotors that enable it to take off and land vertically to move in any direction, or to remain stationary in the air. Other vertical flight craft include autogyros, converted planes, and V-stall aircraft of a number of configurations. The idea of taking off vertically, making the transition to horizontal flight to the destination, and landing vertically has been for centuries the dream of inventors. It is the most logical form, form of flight, dispensing as it does with large landing fields located far from city centers, and the inevitable intervening modes of travel automobile, subway, bus, that flight in conventional aircraft usually requires. Vertical flight is also the most demanding challenge in flying, requiring more sophistication in structure, power, and control than conventional fixed-wing aircraft. These difficulties, solved over time by determined engineers and inventors, made the progress of vertical flight seem slow compared to that of conventional flight for the first 
Useful helicopters did not appear until the early 1940s. A flying saucer is a descriptive term for a supposed type of flying craft having a disc or saucer-shaped body commonly used generically to refer to an anomalous flying object. The term was coined in 1947, but has generally been supplanted since 1952 by the United States Air Force term unidentified flying objects or UFOs. Early reported sightings of unknown flying saucers usually described them as silver or metallic, sometimes reported as covered with navigation lights, or surrounded with a glowing light, hovering or moving rapidly, either alone or in tight formations with other similar aircraft, and exhibiting high maneuverability. And of course, as we learned from this game, Oshiko Akimoto, and released by Konami in 1982, distributed in the United States, all ridden on them by now. If you have ridden on a UFO, I really want to hear that story. So reach out to me at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Now, of course, this game is premised on the concept that you're time warping through different eras of history. This has been a popular topic for science fiction from dec- for decades. Space.com throws a wet blanket on the fun of thinking we can travel through time by saying, not all scientists believe that time travel is possible. Some even say that an attempt would be fatal to any human who chooses to undertake it. While most people think of time as a constant, physicist Albert Einstein showed that time is an illusion. It is relative. It is relative. It can vary for different observers depending on your speed through space. To Einstein, time is the fourth dimension. Space is described as a three-dimensional area, which provides a traveler with coordinates, such as length, width, and height, showing location. Time provides another coordinate direction, although conventionally it only moves forward. Conversely, a new theory asserts that time is real. Going against the standard view of most scientists, theoretical physicist Lee Smolin has suggested that time is real, rather than the illusion that Einstein's theory of relativity makes it out to be. Smolin, who's based at Canada's Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics, outlines the idea in his new book, Time Reborn. Uh, Well, it was new when this article came out, I guess, in 2013. Smolin uh, said in this interview, In the physicist's conception of nature, as as developed from Newton to Einstein, time becomes a secondary concept. It becomes replaced by a notion of computation, so that a process carrying out in time and causing things to happen becomes modeled by a logical computation. Logic and mathematics are outside of time, and therefore, if that modeling is completely accurate, time is unreal. So then he goes on to explain that, in contrast, he thinks time is real. The experience that we have of being in the present moment, which is one of a flow of moments succeeding each other, is not an illusion, as Einstein and others asserted. It's the deepest clue we have as to the nature of reality. Reality is structured to a series of moments so that anything that is real is real in a moment of time, and if something appears to persist in time, That's because it's continually renewing in time, in the moments of time, which are the reality of existence. Any truth about the world is a truth about the world within time. There are no timeless truths, and most importantly, there are no laws of nature that are outside of time. Everything changes, including the laws. All right, you got that? To make it a little clearer, if you want to understand what time is, just ask, who else? The doctor. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. Tone on eBay. Wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. All right. Well, after the break, you are the pilot of you, and you have all the time in the world. Or another 15 minutes or so of this episode. Okay. We're playing this week, Time Pilot, 
I don't want to give anything away, but there's time and a pilot in the game. So let's check them both out and see what we like or don't. Sort of jaunty music. Uh, very vibrant colors. First thing you'll notice is that I'm really bad at this. Sort of a kamikaze move there. I've never been good at really any sort of airplane game. I got one. Good for me. Um, I get strong combat vibes. You know, that original Pac-Man game. Just a little jazzed up. Man, I'm really bad at this. I'm destroying more ships by crashing into them than I am by, uh... Why did the cloud kill me? That was disappointing. Let's try this again. I really did do better earlier, I swear. If you're watching the video of this, you are laughing at me right now. Justifiably. So we have the clouds, we have uh, the biplanes. Those look pretty good. The time ship just looks like a... Uh, looks a little bit like the... Uh, fancier version of the ship from Asteroids. Yeah, it does look like a spade on a card. You're right, Erner. Make it to the dirigible, which allows you to jump to the next time period. I don't get a real sci-fi vibe. I don't know why this needs to be a time-jumping game. Virtual.
mystery anymore. That's really all you're doing in this game. Just alter history, and now I'm dead. And with that jaunty music to celebrate my death, back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned Devilish Breakfast Food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Beats a decoder ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you like to get your books. Not cereal. Here's the thing about Time Pilot. I don't really remember playing the arcade game. I kind of do. And that thing about restoring the paratroopers or whatever sort of tickled, tingled the ivories. That makes no sense. Sort of uh, triggered a, a half memory of playing this game in the arcade. Uh, as for the Atari version that I've played for the first time today, I get heavy dogfighting sessions in the, the uh, you know, original patching combat game. The planes are less blocky in this version, but it otherwise is basically combat in look and even in sound. Um, not that that's a bad thing, necessarily. I had fun with it. I would play it some more. Um, it's one of those that I kind of want to pick up again when I'm done here and play a little bit more, which, of course, is the key to a good game. Do you want to come back and play it some more? So kudos for that, Time Pilot. The time travel part, I mean, really, other than what the planes look like, each session is pretty much the same. You don't need the time travel part. You could just have, if you want to have different looking planes, just to have different things to look at, just have them all be there at once. There's really nothing to the time travel part. If you had different weapons or something, somehow, perhaps. Um, but you don't really need it. I think I understand why the future versions of this game dropped in, uh, you know, sort of dropped the time travel part. But I also don't think it takes away from the fun of the game. So I would definitely play this again. If you guys have thoughts about Time Pilot or anything, really, you know how to contact me. And if you don't, hang around till the end of the show and I will tell you. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story. Story, story, story time. 
with Bill. This week's story is titled, Marking Time. The time pilot brushed a thick lock of chestnut hair from his eyes. Every muscle in his face set harder than the yoke between his legs. He skillfully piloted the time flyer through the time corridors, buffeted by the eon winds, ignoring the warning from mission control. The radio crackled. Pilot returned to base. The time pilot muttered epithets, then louder he responded, I just need a few more moments. A murmured debate among the rolled up shirt sleeves and cold half-filled styrofoam cups of coffee at mission control. Moments? What are moments? In synchronized pearl clutching, a room full of thick three-ring binders were opened, the controllers looking for any guidance why, when they say return, the time pilot isn't instantly there. While it's true, instantly was an only recently mastered concept, everyone abided by it. Moment, however, was a new thing. Meanwhile, whatever meanwhile was, the time pilot was doing his job as he saw it. As the time pilot soared on the time winds above, a family of travelers huddled on the road below, unable to go any further. The young parents shielded their toddler from the storm, until the trauma of becoming elderly arthritic grandparents became too much. They were not in a rain or snowstorm, they were in a storm of time. The young family was bombarded, birth, death, dad died, then he returned. Mom birthed her kids, then hugged her grandkids. The children breathed their first breath in it as an infant, then watched each other breathe their last as octogenarians. First steps, learning to tie their shoes after dissecting the atom. Weddings and seconds gave way to cheering at football games as high school cheerleaders and laughing with friends. Scary movies and consoling depressed cousins. Carnivals, bingo games, Halloween parties and funerals. The time pilot saw it all. Beginnings and endings. Lives lived and undone. In no set order and with no purpose. And all in service of this new concept, moments. Around this little family, the road was filled with the universe's creations. Rocket ships pulled by horse and buggy. Ancient Roman chariots chasing Model T Fords. Conversion vans sharing runways with flying cars. Time was in a jumble. How could these people have any concept of now or then? How could they appreciate the past or look to the future when the two were interchangeable? There had to be a better, more orderly way for these mortals to live. If not, what good was the Time Pilot Corps? Back at base, the Time Pilot stepped from his craft as the watch commander approached. Pilot, the commander said, flawless mission as always. Got time to grab a beer? The Time Pilot considered this. Yes, he said, and no. That's the problem. Then he kept walking. What the hell? The watch commander muttered. The time pilot shuddered himself away in his cabin on the hill, mulling over how to impose some order on events, a framework for what happens now, then, and never. Time passed, not that anyone noticed. The time pilot's plane rusted to obsolescence on the tarmac. The pilot himself aged as the eons passed. Strands of white from his rapidly growing beard mingled with the adhesive on the massive frame he constructed. At last, his invention was complete. Stand down, pilot. Mission Control barked through the comm as the time pilot hammered the last nail into his time framework. Was Mission Control always watching? The time pilot stood and stretched his arthritic back. It's really better if I stand up, he laughed. Mission Control did not. Are you authorized to... whatever you're doing? The control asked. No. The time pilot said simply and shuffled back into his cabin on the hill to wait for the universe to right itself. Waiting was new and fun. That young family had their children. They grew, slowly, in order from young to old, and the parents aged the same way. Major events happened occasionally. 
weddings, funerals, births, lottery winnings, and romantic beef jerky-fueled interludes in gas station bathrooms interspersed with the normal monotony of daily life. The time pilot was pleased. By now, he'd been promoted to assistant time observer. The universe was starting to make sense, and the mortals would be grateful. I'm so bored, the children whined. Is my paycheck ever going to get here? Their mom muttered. How much longer is this going to go on? The dad thought as he sat through another Sunday dinner with the in-laws. Game of Thrones is on in 15 minutes. I can't wait. Are we there yet? They all chanted on a road trip to Cincinnati. What was happening? The time pilot was mystified. Time was orderly, predictable in its measured progression. But then, the kids were off to college. Where does the time go? Their mom said through tears. What will you do tomorrow? Dad's co-worker asked Dad's retirement party. I don't know, Dad admitted. Thirty years goes by pretty fast. This is all I know how to do. On her deathbed, Mom admitted, I should have slowed down. Wish I'd taken the painting class when I was twenty. Let you fix up the patio when you wanted to. I never really watched a sunset, you know. Sounds silly, I guess. Enjoy every sandwich, her husband said through tears. I'm more of a rap kind of girl, his wife said, laughing quietly. Father Time, formerly of the Time Pilot Corps, felt he'd failed. The mortals weren't following the time framework he'd constructed. They were seeing time how they wanted to see time. It moved as fast as they wanted it to move, or as fast as they thought it was moving. It was beyond his control. Or was it? On the porch of that cabin on the hill, Father Time looked out over the universe, the time winds flowing through his long, snowy locks. He knew what he could do. He could stop time, shut it down, smash the framework to bits. That would restore order. But then, in the distance, Father Time heard the sound. He nodded and sat back wearily, as time's framework asserted itself. For in the distance, the baby New Year started to cry. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme and the Jason Says Stuff theme. Got some time on your hands? Pilot your interneting device over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review of the show. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, do check us out on Instagram. Don't forget, you always have the option to call and leave us a voicemail, because uh, I'm never going to answer the phone. But you can leave a message at 563-265-1978 about pretty much anything you want. And there's a good chance to um, play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information, links to episodes for this show, uh, information about books that I've written, like Hell Serial, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, uh, and other stuff that I've done. All sorts of stuff over there at carnivalofgleecreations.com. Consider supporting the show financially by subscribing on the Patreon page um, because as a Patreon supporter, you can get stuff. Perhaps you can get the episodes early instead of waiting until Sunday. Maybe you can get bonus content like truly awful videos of the field report every week as well as other things that I throw up there from time to time. You can also hang out with these cool folks 
the current patrons, Michael Tyler, Jose Caseda, Sean Courtney, M. West, Jim, Jim Goebel, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., and Jason Schiffman. Thanks to one and all. Okay, we're just about out of here. All that's left is to tell you that this planet sucks. No, that's not a commentary on the current state of the world, although it could be. That is the name of next week's game. I stumbled across this as I was looking at some other stuff, and with a title like, This Planet Sucks, well, I had to check it out. So that's what we're going to do next week. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.